All right, all right, all right. It is here. It is amongst us. I don't have to hide and listen to my Christmas music anymore. Merry Christmas to you. How are you guys doing this morning? All right. Hey, turn to your neighbor and give them a good, hearty, joyful Merry Christmas. All right. Let me just get a little, let me get a little, uh, kind of an audience poll, a a congregation poll. We got to kind of see where we're at. How many of you guys just, you need to confess it. You have been listening to Christmas music for, for about a month now. Just, just own it. You're what we call holy and blameless. Just own it. I'm with you. All right. How many of you guys, when uh, Starbucks rolled out the red, the red Starbucks cups, it filled your heart with joy. Yeah. Own it. All right. Um, how many of you guys, let's be honest, how many of you guys, it's, it's, it's actually still for you too soon for Christmas music. Anybody besides my wife? We read how the Grinch stole Christmas at my house and I point at my wife and I'm not just kidding. She loves Christmas. She loves Christmas, but, but there's only so much of dogs barking jingle bells that she can handle. You know what I'm talking about? That's my favorite Christmas song. It's great. How many of you guys, uh, how many of you guys got Elf on the Shelf? Yeah, that thing's creepy. Like, I don't know what's wrong with you. It's like the Christmas version of Chucky. Like, it just is not allowed in my house. I, I don't put my foot down on a lot of things, but if, if Elf on the Shelf shows up, uh, the nine millimeters coming out on Elf on the Shelf, it's just, it freaks me out, all right? How many of you guys, you got the Advent calendars, you get the little calendars ready for tomorrow with something you're going to move, or you're going to open it up and get presents, you guys are ready for that? Awesome. All right, how many of you guys are just, you're, you're super, you're just, just beyond excited, and you got to let me know with a woo you're beyond excited that it's Christmas time. You're my people. You're my people. All right, so uh, we're starting a new series called uh, Love is Born, Christmas is Here. Let me explain to you just super simple why we're calling this Love is Born. First John chapter 4 talks about the fact that God is love. And John chapter 1 says that the Word of God or that Christ uh, uh, made to on flesh and dwelt amongst us. And so what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks is that um, Christ dwells amongst us. Now, um, the good news, the, the, the beautiful part of the text, hold on real quick. Hey, can y'all turn that TV off or I'm going to watch myself the whole time? That one right there. I just need to do that for your sake because if not, I'll be like, dang, he good looking, right? Y'all can do it y'all all day long, but that guy's good looking. If I do it, I'll forget what I was talking about. So we're, we're talking about love is born, 1 John 4, that Christ is born and dwells amongst us and that Jesus came in flesh in a baby in a manger and turned the whole world upside down. So for the next few weeks, we're just going to look at some uh, accounts of the Christmas story. And uh, here's, my, here's my prayer for you. If you're new to church or coming back and you're not really sure about where Santa Claus is in the Bible, you're trying to figure out what this Christmas story is all about, my prayer for you over the next few weeks is this, is that it would become crystal clear that Christmas is all about Jesus coming to earth for you. And if you're a regular, you've been here, you've heard the Christmas story more times than not, you can tell it, you could teach it, you could preach it, then my prayer for you is that God would give you a fresh view, a fresh view of Christmas and that um, Christ's coming would, would just be rich in your heart and that as we think about Christmas, there would just be something brand new that God would show you. And so um, we're going to do that. So with that being said, let me pray for us and we'll get, we'll get digging in. Lord, we love you. And uh, God, we thank you. I just thank you so much that what Christmas is is a celebration that you dwell among us. And so God, as we dig into your word this morning, as we look at some familiar passages, God, would you just be fresh? God, would you um, call us to respond in obedience today? It's in your name we pray. 
Amen. So this morning, we have Mary and Joseph. We're going to look at Mary and Joseph. If you've got a Bible uh, on, your, on, a, on your app, on your phone, in front of you, in your, in your notes, on the screen, we really take the Bible very seriously here. And so if you've got a Bible, you want to go to Luke chapter 1. That's where we're going to start, and then we're going to go to Matthew next. But Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at the account of Mary and the account of Joseph and just ask, hey, what was going on in their world, and what implication does it have to us? So uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So uh, the angel Gabriel gets sent to the sticks. It's like getting sent to Dillon, South Carolina, or Palatka, Florida, or anything below I-16 in Georgia. All right, Just the sticks. Gabriel shows up the sticks to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And so I just want you to kind of get what's going on here. Uh, Mary, let's just talk about her for a second. She's probably about 13 or 14 years old. She's betrothed, which means this. She has, she's engaged, like a year-long engagement where she, her, everything she's promised she is, she is to be the wife of Joseph. Um, there's about a year-long engagement before they celebrate the wedding and uh, get to know each other biblically. You know what I'm talking about? You need more details there? Okay, if so, then I have no filter. I'm not afraid to keep going. And so there's about a year where they are uh, betrothed or engaged. So she's about 13 or 14 years old. She's engaged to Joseph. Here's what we know. She grew up in Nazareth. And uh, Nazareth was kind of a small agricultural town, just kind of small town Israel, kind of like small town USA. Um, just, just get your head wrapped around kind of this morning, this day for Mary. So she wakes up just like every day, and she goes out, her and her, and her cousins and her family, they own a couple of chickens, so she goes and gets the eggs and brings them in, and she cooks dinner for her, cooks breakfast for her dad, and uh, kisses her dad on the cheek. He's going out to kind of work the farm, and, and, and so she gets her chores. I'm sure she goes and grabs the laundry in the house, and she takes it to the backyard. She's got to get it all washed in the morning so she can lay it out, and it can all be dry. So that's got, Mary's just got a just an ordinary good old day. She's, she kisses her dad. She's out there. She's getting the laundry. She's probably like angry because her parents make her do chores. Well, guess what? If you're 13 years old, you got a roof over your head. Are you with me, student section? Do your chores. And so she's, she's doing her chores, and all of a sudden she hears behind her like this noise, and she turns around, and little old simple farm town girl, Mary, just a good old girl, probably grew up going to synagogue, and her family would go to the temple in Jerusalem. She'd heard all the stories about the Messiah. And next thing she knows, out there in the backyard, washing sheets, she turns around and there's Gabriel, the angel. Just, wah, like, right? Just majestic. 28, verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. I, I love it. He's going to say it again in a second. Same phrase. But Mary gets no choice in getting graced by God. A, Gabriel shows up and goes, Mary, uh, God loves you. Did you know? Mary, did you know? I'm going to sing Christmas carols all morning if you're all right with that. Verse, verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Which honestly, you and I would have the same kind of like, like what, what, what just happened? What had just happened? The angel shows up and says, God favored you. God has grace for you. The Lord is with you. And Mary, I love it. She takes the kind of the humble response, kind of shows her humility. She, she begins to ponder this and goes, what, what does this mean, Right? There's the other response, which is the arrogant response, which is, of course, the Lord's with me. I'm kind of awesome. I'm glad he took notice, right? But Mary kind of goes with this humble approach. Says, what is this all about? Verse 30, and the angel said, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, I'm a little bit of a Bible nerd. That word found in the Greek, the, it's a verb, and it's the aorist indicative 
form of the verb, which everyone in here, you, you know what I'm talking about now, right? Okay. Um, I'll just be the geek and I'll tell you what it means. So the word, the, the, the verb form eris indicative means something happened in the past that, that the person became a recipient of. For example, um, I, I've received freedom from the Britons, right? From the bloody Brits. We, I, I was actually not here during the Revolutionary War. I did nothing to actually get our freedom from Great Britain, but I've received it. All right? It happened in the past and I'm the recipient of it. And so this verb found favor literally means, Mary, you really did nothing but God did everything, and so you now have favor or you now have grace because God decided you have it. Which I think is a beautiful concept for us to grab a hold onto this morning. Mary really did, didn't do anything to earn God's favor. God gave it to her because God wanted to. God desired to give her grace. Verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. You should name him Jesus. God's favor doesn't require work to receive it, but demands action in response. So Mary did nothing to receive God's favor. She wasn't, it wasn't like she was good enough and God's like, oh, she's all, I'm, I'm sure she was a great girl. I mean, she's, she's getting ready to get married. I'm sure she's done everything God's asked of her, but it wasn't, she didn't do anything. She wasn't good enough to get God's favor. God gave her his grace. Like she didn't have to do anything to receive it. There was no action. There was no checklist to receive God's favor. So God's favor doesn't require us to work for it, but it demands our action in response to it. Here's, here's what happens. Verse 32 keeps, on, keeps talking about Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And, the, and his kingdom there will have no end. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? So Mary asked a really good question. She goes, okay, I agree. God has favor with me. I'm in for this whole like, like bearing the son of God thing, but I'm a virgin. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to get pregnant. Now there, there's a lot of arguments out there that maybe she meant I'm a little girl, um, but she was, she was ready to get married. She was 13 or 14 years old. Biologically, that wouldn't make sense. She's, she's moving into that, that womanhood. Right? Um, it also, some people like, it just means woman, which I think is, that's a horrible argument because Mary would not ask, how can I be pregnant? I'm a woman. I, that's a dumb question to ask an angel. And at 14 years old, if you don't understand how that works, then you're too dumb to work with. And so I don't think it's that. Some people, some people would argue, I think maybe she's asking, am I gonna get pregnant the first time that I have sex? And, and that's not it either because she's about to get pregnant and the Bible tells us her and Joseph don't have sex until after Jesus is born. So Mary's literally asking the question, okay, Gabriel, you say I'm going to have a baby named Jesus. I'm a virgin. Can you explain to me how that works? Right? Because I don't know about any of y'all, but like that is a complex, it's, it's a mind boggle in first century as much as it is in the 20th century. Here, here's what I want you to see. Mary understood that God was about to do a miracle. And she didn't get lost in the how of Christmas and miss the who of Christmas. Like she, she understood the how, she didn't understand the how of Christmas, she's asking, but she understood the who of Christmas was Jesus was to be born. So she didn't get mixed up. Verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. So Gabriel says, here's what's gonna happen. The Holy Spirit's gonna come, the power of God's gonna come. You're gonna conceive miraculously. Like God is going to be the father of your child, that it's a miracle. And, and there's some theological, there's some implications for us on that, that, that I don't want us to miss. Because the Holy Spirit, because the power of God calls 
Mary to conceive, the child to be born will be called holy. Why? Well, because the child was not going to be corrupted or polluted by the nature of man that we all of us have inherited through Adam. See, Adam and Genesis sinned, and since then, all of mankind through our fathers have inherited a sinful nature. And because Jesus' father, his God, he inherited a pure and perfect nature. It's also important to know that because God was the father, Jesus was fully God and fully man, which is important because when, what Christ came in Christmas to do was to get to the cross of Easter. And when Christ went on the cross and died and was resurrected, because he was fully God and fully man, he was fully sufficient for all of our sins forever and ever. Amen. So the virgin conception is not just something in the Bible. It is, it is root, it's foundational to what we believe. And so Mary goes, hey, how's this going to happen? And Gabriel says, look, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going you're gonna to conceive Jesus through the power of God. Verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age and has conceived a son. And this is her sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. So Gabriel comes to Mary and starts to tell Mary of what's going to happen and what's to come. And, and he says, and your, your cousin Elizabeth, who who was barren and too old to have children, she's now pregnant. And Gabriel says, look, there's nothing impossible with God. When God calls us to do something, when God calls you and I, calls us, us, he calls us to come and join me and and do this grand grand thing with me. When something appears to be impossible, it is a sure sign that you and I have placed our focus on our own abilities and not his. You see, see, like virgin conception is impossible if you just look at our own abilities. But Mary said, look, I'm not going to just look at my own limitations, God. I'm going to look at what you can do. Verse 38, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Underline that in whatever you got. Except for if you have a phone, don't actually write on your phone. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. See, Mary understood. Mary is going to risk her marriage. She was going to risk her reputation. She was going to risk her financial security. Because I, I don't know if you know this, but, but the, if you start telling people, oh, I'm still a virgin and I'm pregnant, people don't tend to believe that. Like, it's not common. But, oh, yeah, I heard about that on the news. Like, Oprah had a thing on that, right? It just doesn't happen. And so uh, Mary realizes by going, whatever you want, Lord, whatever you call me to do, whatever you call me to go, uh, yes, whatever you say, God, she knew she was risking her marriage. She was risking her reputation. She was risking all that. But what she says, I'm your servant. Lord, I'm your servant. Whatever you call me to do, I'm going to do because I serve you and not the approval of man. I serve you and not the circumstances that surround me. Here's here's the truth. You and I get the same opportunities as Mary every day to say yes or to no, yes or no to God when he asks us to join him. God is asking asking us to join him. And just like Mary, we can go, well, based off my reputation and based off the circumstances and based off the approval of man, we every day go, yes, Lord, I'll follow you no matter where you say, or God, I'm really going to protect my own here. Every day. So Mary's all in at this point. Mary says, look, I'm in. Um, this virgin birth thing doesn't make sense, but God, if you say so, let it be to me. And then uh, she, I know she's thinking, how do I tell Joe? Like, like if my wife came to me and said, hey, uh, I, I, you know, I'm pregnant, and it wasn't because we had sex. It's just because God gave me a baby. I'd be like, I don't, I, I don't know how that works. That's kind of weird, right? And so I know Mary's thinking, how do I go to Joseph and tell Joseph, hey, I talked to an angel, um, I'm carrying God's baby, right? That doesn't even work on Jerry Springer. You know what I mean? Like, what is going on here? And God in his sovereignty knew that this would be really tough for Mary to go to Joseph and try to explain. 
And so before Mary gets to Joseph, God sends Gabriel to Joseph. God sends Gabriel ahead of Mary to prepare the way for his plan. Matthew chapter 1. Let's go over there. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, before they consummated their marriage, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, or or another way to put that, a righteous man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So we we don't know a whole lot about Joe. We just know Joe. We know a few things about Joe. He was a good man. He's a righteous man. He grew up. He's probably a good uh, good church guy. Was was part of the uh, of the of the Jewish faith. Was was seems like an outstanding citizen. We know he's a carpenter, right? So we know that he's probably just you just imagine what's going on in his life. He is getting ready to get married. He's getting ready. He's he's been saving himself for this for for Mary for this marriage. And so uh, let me tell you the whole year what he's thinking about. Bound chicken, wow, wow, honeymoon, right? How do I know that? He's a dude and I'm a dude, right? It's a very simple thought process we have. And so for like a year, I'm sure he's working 10, 11 hour days trying to sell all the chairs and tables and, and whatever, the carpentry that he's building. He's saving up for the honeymoon. He's, got, he's trying to get the house in order because they're about to get married. He wants everything to just be perfect. Just, Joe's just kind of an ordinary guy. He's just working hard, trying to get everything ready for his marriage. And one day he's in the shop uh, there's no power tool, so he's in the shop just like with a giant forearm, just, just cutting wood. And his bud comes in and goes, hey, uh, Joe, have you, I heard something about your fiance. I heard she's pregnant. And Joe just stops and drops the song and goes, man, there's no way she's pregnant. We've been saving ourselves. We, we've been waiting. The honeymoon's going to be awesome. She, there's no way she's pregnant unless holding hands can get you pregnant. And I don't think it can. There's no way. And his friend leans in and goes, well, then it's not yours. And Joe's like, what? What do, you, what do you mean? His friend goes, well, there's a rumor going around that Mary's pregnant and it's not yours. And so Joseph, he's a righteous man. He's a just man, but he has a legal right now to go, hey, Mary, if, you, if you're going to go get pregnant while we're engaged, we're not getting married. And he decides he's going to kind of do it quietly because if you do it like in the city square, she's likely to get stoned to death. So Joseph says, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do it quietly. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In one sentence, the angel Gabriel declared two major truths that Joseph already knew. Here's what they are. First of all, he says, Joseph, son of David. All right, Jeremiah chapter 23 tells us that the Messiah is going to be from the branch or the shoot from the lineage of King Joseph. David. So the angel shows up and goes, hey, Joseph, um, your great, 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 great granddaddy was, was King David. And guess what? Um, God's word, he's already declared that the Messiah is going to come from the lineage of David. Hint number one, truth number one, you're from the lineage of David. And second of all, don't be afraid to marry your wife. Mary has been faithful to you. She's conceived from the Holy Spirit, to which Joseph, being a good Jew, would go, oh, I remember Isaiah chapter 7 said that a virgin is going to give birth to the Messiah, and the Messiah is going to come from the line of David. And so what the angel declares is, Joseph, you already know God's word is true. You already have heard God's word, and it's true. And the angel declares to Joseph, so act upon what you know. Like, trust God's word. It is true and it's going to be true. It's always been true, and it's going to remain true. It goes on, it says, and so she will bear a son, and you shall name him 
Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, Jesus was a pretty common name. It means God saves or Yahweh saves. It's, it's a, a never way, another name, kind of similar name in Hebrew is Joshua. Both of them means God saves. It was just a, a pretty common name. It'd be like naming your kid uh, uh, John or Michael. It, it's just a good name. A good, good Jewish name would be Jesus, but it's kind of a common name. But what Jesus, he was named a common name for an uncommon purpose. You see, God says, Gabriel tells him, name your son Jesus. Name your son God will save, for he will save his people. It's kind of like a, a little tongue-in-cheek declaration of, name your son, I will save you. Like, that's, that's what Jesus, that's what Gabriel's telling Joseph. Name your son, God will save you, because he's God and he will save you. I, I love this beautiful picture. He kind of became one of us. Like, Jesus just kind of became one of us with just a common name so that we become one of his with an uncommon identity. And Jesus is just born to this kind of ordinary couple because God's got an extraordinary plan. Verse 22, and all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. See, what happens, Joseph wakes up and goes, all right, God, what did you tell me to do? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it, why? Because I trust that you've, your word is true and what you're telling me to do lines up with your word, and so I'm gonna do it. So Joseph wakes up and remembers Isaiah 7, that was 700 years before this, that a virgin was gonna give birth, and Jeremiah 23, that the Messiah was gonna come from the lineage of David, and in the middle of, of those two truths, Joseph says, whatever you tell me to do, God, I'll believe you. Whatever. See, here's the point. When ordinary people walk in extraordinary obedience, they get to witness God's word may manifest. Like, this is what happened with Mary and Joseph. It literally what happens. Ordinary people, Mary and Joseph. Joseph's a carpenter. Mary's just a, a small town girl. Grew up in, in, in just small town Israel, Galilee. She's just a small town farm girl. And they're just ordinary people. When God came to them and said, do you want to join me in what I'm doing? They just had extraordinary obedience. They said, sure. God, whatever, let, you, let it be to me, as you, as you would say. Let it be to me what your word says of me. And they literally got to watch the word of God made manifest. They got to watch Christ be born and Jesus to raise up as a boy and into a man. And then they got to watch him die on the cross and come off and resurrect and save the world. They got invited into that. Now, now, let me kind of set this straight. When I talk about ordinary people, uh, there's, there's kind of two sides that, that are not ordinary. And one side of kind of, a, of an unordinary, a non-ordinary person, there's some people um, who, who, who see themselves as so insufficient and worthless. There's so much kind of self-pity that it's kind of like Eeyore, like, woe is me. Like, just, it's just an overwhelming, kind of depressing kind of view of themselves, all right? Uh, there's another incorrect view of yourself um, where you are so arrogant and so... Uh, prideful and so uh, sure of yourself that if I even took a shot at you right now about being arrogant and prideful and you think you're awesome, you would think it's a compliment, right? So there's kind of two groups and, and neither are a correct view of self. Like a, 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 a worthless, insufficient view of self is a lie from the enemy, enemy and an overinflated, um, arrogant view of yourself is a lie from the enemy. But in the middle, there's just this common um, ordinary, just correct view of myself. I'm not worthless. I didn't hang the moon. Like right there in the middle. And that's where a lot of people in this room are. They're just kind of in the spot of, you know, I, I do my job. I, 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 
I go home and I eat dinner with my family and I, I watch football on the weekends, except for yesterday because it was awful, um, just for me at least. Maybe for a couple of you other SEC teams. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to get sidetracked here. But I'm just ordinary, just kind of living life, just doing my thing. And when ordinary people have extraordinary faith, and extraordinary faith is this, hearing God and saying yes. Extraordinary obedience is just simply put, hearing God and saying yes. And let me just tell you this. Any obedience to God in this culture is extraordinary. Like any obedience. Like just any obedience is extraordinary. So when ordinary people like you and me just hear what God says and says, yes, we get to watch God's plans in action. Like we get invited to the front row of what God's doing. I had a football coach at the University of Georgia say this, our obedience to God's request becomes God's, God's responsibilities to the end results. Our obedience to his request becomes his responsibility to the end results. That, let me break it down. When, when we're obedient to what God calls us to do, when he requests or asks something of us, when we're obedient, when we hear him and say yes, it becomes his responsibility to fulfill what he's called us to do. Like just look at Mary. Mary hears, uh, I want you, Mary, to have, uh, be the mother of Jesus. And Mary goes, yes. And then she, it's, God's, it's God's responsibility from there, right? It wasn't like she went and ate a Hershey Kiss bar and like all of a sudden she's pregnant. Like it wasn't like, mm, she, for, she said, yes, Lord, whatever you say. And God did the miraculous. God did the miraculous. And so for me and you, when we get invited into what God is doing and what, what God is calling us to do, our job is to be faithful and obedient. Hear God and say yes. His job is to do miraculous. I think sometimes we think our job is to do the miraculous. Guess what? You can't. You're not miraculous, right? All right, you're not like a, a special snowflake that just dropped from heaven. You're like, oh, so they're here, right? You're not miraculous. You're awesome. You're God's special creation. He, he knit you together in your mother's womb. But for the miraculous to happen, God has to get involved. And here's how we get involved in the miraculous. When he says yes, when he says go, when he says let's do this, let's go this way, this is my plan, you and I go, yes, Lord, whatever your word is, yes. Now, here's the truth. We agree on the general concept and the historical account that God uses ordinary people. Let me break that down. The general concept is this. We, we agree that God calls ordinary people to extraordinary things for his glory. Like, just generally, we agree, yeah, God calls ordinary people to extraordinary things for his glory, right? Just a couple examples, Billy Graham, right? We all agree, kind of ordinary guy. Uh, he meets Jesus, starts preaching. Uh, he just has this extraordinary faith to just preach to people about being born again, and miraculously, God saves thousands upon thousands upon thousands, right? We, we agree, general concept, God uses ordinary people for extraordinary things. Mother Teresa, right? So ordinary, I don't even know her last name. Does anybody know her last name? She doesn't have one. Thanks. I think her last name is Teresa. Her first name is Mother. All right, so here's the deal. She's so special, Mother Teresa. She's just ordinary. I don't know her last name, but she has loved people in such a way that I can't, we can't even begin to fathom how many miracles and how, how many salvations and how many people have come to know the face of God through her love and ministry. We even agree on it here. Um, we are very, very blessed and very, very lucky to have Pastor Joey Martin who is an amazing communicator of the gospel. And for the last two years here at this church, God has done the miraculous, and over 2,000 people have come to know Christ and surrender their life to Jesus through the preaching of Pastor Joey Martin. And God's done extraordinary things, but, I, but he's an ordinary man, right? 
He would tell you he's just a dumb redneck from South Carolina, and if you drop dumb, you can leave redneck from South Carolina, and you're dead on, dead on. Just an ordinary guy who said, God, whatever you, whatever you called me to do. And a couple of years ago, when Pastor Jerry Sweat told him, hey, I think you should plant a church, he just said, okay. And so we believe it. I've even heard you go, hey, I'm bringing my friends. In fact, sometimes you encourage me by going, hey, we thought Pastor Joby was here this week, and you, you weren't that bad. I mean, that's an encouragement, I think. And so I just... I kind of receive it and I kind of reject it. I don't know what to, what to punch you in the face or hug you. I don't know what to do. But we've got, we're blessed. We, we, we agree generally that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, right? Historically, we agree. We, we read the, the, uh, the, the Christmas story and it's just Mary and Joseph, a farm girl and a, and a carpenter and the shepherds who are like the, like the lowest income job in the city. And then we read about the disciples and they are just a group of trade school dropouts that somehow made it. And so we, historically we're like, yeah, God uses ordinary people for extraordinary things. But, but we balk at the personal implications that God would use you and me. Like we, we stack hands on, yeah, God used Billy Graham and God used Peter and God used and God used and God used. And then when you look in the mirror and you ask the question, do you believe it's possible that God wants to use you? We balk. We balk. So when we read the story of Mary and the story of Joseph, it's not just a story from 2,000 years ago. It's a story with implications to the person that looks back at you in the mirror. It's what breaks my heart as a pastor to know we read these texts, these real-life stories, and we can get all excited about what God's going to do through other people. But at the end of the day, we go, do you believe it's possible that God would want to use you? And we balk. Here's the truth. Um, God can and will use you to turn the world upside down. In, In fact, let me be honest with you, he already is. Like, God's already using you to turn the world upside down. Like I said, in the past couple years, over 2,000 people have surrendered their life to Jesus at this church. And you're a part of it. How do I know? Well, because we gather together to worship. The Bible says when, when Jesus is lifted up, he will draw men to him. And so in our worship, we lift up Jesus, and Jesus has drawn over 2,000 people to him to surrender. There's countless number of our people who have come home They've been wondering from him for years. And why? Because we lifted Jesus and we gathered together. You gathered and worshiped and lifted Jesus high and people began to flock and come to him. You're also a part of what God's doing here because you invite. Like I know some of you had invited friends and family this weekend. You know how? Because you texted me and said, hey, I'm bringing my family. Don't suck this weekend. I, I don't even know how to, what to do with that encouragement. I'll just, thanks for the pressure, right? And every weekend, here's the deal. Every weekend, you're a part of pointing to Jesus because hundreds of you serve every weekend. You serve in little kids, you serve in kids, you serve in the parking lot, you serve at the doors, you serve all over this campus so that we would point people to Jesus and remove the distractions. There are hundreds of people right now discipling the next generation, discipling new believers just right next door to us right now. And you give, you give generously. And so you're already a part of what God's doing. You're already gathering and lifting up the name of Jesus. You're already inviting your friends and families to hear the gospel. You're already serving one another to point to Jesus. You're already giving to fuel the ministry. And and here's the deal. Because of what God's doing in you, guess what? We're going to launch another service because of you. Because you're an ordinary person doing extraordinary things, and you get to watch God continue to grow. And as our numbers grow, and numbers only matters because each number's a person, each person matters to Jesus. And so in January, January the 11th at 1.30, we are starting our fifth weekend service to which you go. There we go. 
All right, I was going to make you stand up and do the wave. January 11th, we're starting a new service. Why? Because you continue to gather. We continue to invite. We continue to serve. We continue to give. And God continues to draw hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of people to him. And so we are not going to ever be the hindering factor. We're not going to hinder people coming to know Jesus. So on January 11th, I need about half of you guys to move to the 130 service so that we can make room for more people to come and meet Jesus. And I'm asking you nicely, and in a couple of weeks, Pastor Joby will tell you meanly. So you can respond to whichever style you enjoy, right? I'll hug you. He'll kick you to the next service. All right, whatever it takes. All right, and so here's what's happening. You guys are already moving and already doing extraordinary things for the kingdom. But, but to gather and to invite and to serve and to give is really, it's really just the beginning. See, God has even bigger things for you. And when you look in the mirror and you go, do I believe that God would actually use me? Man, I pray like crazy that you go, yeah, yeah. So here's the truth. None of us have a story. None of us have a past that surprises God. Like none of us begin to tell our story to God and God goes, ooh, yeah, you're right. I don't think I'm gonna be able to redeem that one. No, there's nothing we've ever done that God has not fully redeemed through the blood of Christ on the cross. There's not a weakness, there's not an impediment, there's not a a bad decision that God cannot use for his glory. And so when we look in the mirror and we go, could God use me? I want us to go, yeah, yeah, and why? Why would God use you? For his glory, for his glory. You see, I I get an opportunity to teach God's word, to preach God's word, and, and you may not know this about me, but in elementary school, I had to go to speech class. Right? I couldn't speak. Right? Uh, I couldn't say S's and I couldn't say N's. My name is Ryan Stone. I literally couldn't introduce myself till seventh grade. And I would do, do it for you right now, but it's insecurity. So I'm not, it was bad. I had to go to speech class. And then I remember in college, I was in Mexico on a mission trip. And, and I had always had this kind of like insecurity about speaking because I speak too fast and I make words up. And I, even when I read, I read words that aren't there. It's just, it's all these insecurities in me. And, and a night in Mexico, I was on a mission trip and the, the guy leading the trip said, hey, uh, Stone, um, or Stoner is what they call me. It had nothing to do with drugs. It just, they thought it was funny. Stone, um, you're preaching tonight. And I thought, I can barely speak English. How am I supposed to preach to people in Spanish? And he goes, no problem. They don't speak Spanish. They actually speak Nahuatl, which is like a native tongue. So you'll have to preach. You don't have to be translated from English to Spanish, Spanish to Nahuatl, and then you have to complete your thought. Awesome. You know, I had that night, I just said, all right, God, whatever, I, I don't think I'm good enough for this, but if you want to use me, and I preached my heart out, and people came to know Jesus, and, and the church was strengthened, and, and, um, and the gospel was proclaimed, and in that moment, God said, I got more for you. I got more for you. And, and my prayer for us is this, is that when we begin to think about this question of, do you believe, do you believe that God would want to use you? My heartbeat and my prayer for you is that it would be an overwhelming, yeah. Like for his glory, because I don't bring anything to the table except for what he is going to do through me. I kid you not, this is one of the questions that as a pastor that weighs most heavy on my soul. To know that there's people sitting in your seat, your seat, that question whether or not God can use you. And here's here's why it weighs so heavy on me. For you to question on whether or not God can use you means this. You have not allowed the gospel to fully invade every insecurity and fear and anxiety in your life. There's nothing that you cannot do. All things are possible for him. 
When we begin to look at God's call in our life and go, I don't know if we can pull this off, it is a dead sign that you're looking at your own abilities and you have missed the abilities of the almighty, all-powerful God who's in your corner saying, join me, we've got something bigger to do than to just exist in life. And so I lay awake at night thinking and praying that our church, our people would know that God's call on your life is for you, not for the person to your right, not for the person to your left but for you. And when we begin to wrestle that for his glory, God would use me, then the next logical step for us is to position ourselves. Not to just go, I believe it, but to position ourselves before God going, God, I believe you can use me. Now use me. I don't want to waste my life. Use me. Use me. And so here's the truth. Our positioning before God allows the call of God to be heard in faith and responded to in action. That when we believe God could could use me to do extraordinary things, our logical step is to go, now I'm going to position myself before you, God, in such a way that I can hear you and I can respond to you. When we really get that the gospel has changed everything about our identity, it forces us to deal in action with what God's called us to do. Begin to ask the question, how do I position myself before the Lord? Well, James chapter 4 says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 15, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So once we realize God can do through me, God's going to use me to do uh, grand things in his plan, we begin to position ourselves before him, and, and we begin to draw near and abide. Now, I just need to confess to you, for, for probably the first 10 to 15 years of my relationship, my faith journey, I'd read verses like, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you, or abide in me, and I would go, cool, I'm for it. I don't know how to abide. I don't, I don't even really actually know what the word abide means. I'm pretty sure if I took my wife on a date and said, we're just going to go abide, she'd be like, I ain't, I'm not into that kind of stuff. I don't even, I don't even know what abide really, it, it, it messes with my head. And drawing near to God, like, isn't God kind of like everywhere? So like, where do I draw near to? Like, do I just kind of walk around going, I'm drawing, I'm drawing, I'm drawing, where am I drawing? Like, and there's just this little bit of us. And for me, there was just this kind of restlessness of like, God, I want you. I want more of you. And I want to draw near to you. I want to abide in you. But at the end of the day, I don't know what either of those things mean. And one day about um, probably 10, 10, 12 years ago, I stole this book from my dad, which means I broke two commandments. I stole and I didn't honor my dad. Um, it happens. Uh, Lord forgave me. It's called The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Here's what I want you to do. Write that down. The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Go ahead and text it to whoever's going to buy you a Christmas present and go, hey, buy this for me. I stole this book from my dad and I began to read through it. And I was, I was searching. I was trying to figure out, like, like, it's called The Path to Spiritual Growth. I want to grow. I want to be intimate with Jesus. I understood that it was relationship and not religion. But at the end of the day, I still didn't understand what does it mean to just abide? What does it mean to draw near? What does it mean to rest in God? And so I began to dig into this book, and I, I don't have time this morning to take us through all 13 chapters. That's why you've got to buy it and read it over Christmas break. But here's what God began to show me. Here's how we draw near to him. 
It, it's something the church called spiritual disciplines. Now, it makes sense, physical disciplines, if you wanted to get in shape, you'd eat better, you'd do more push-ups, more pull-ups, and you'd do that dreaded thing called run. And if you ever call it a fun run, I'll slap you, right? And so if you want to physically draw near to health, then you would do those things. Well, spiritually, there are disciplines. There are things we do that helps us grow more healthy or more intimate with our Heavenly Father. And we call them spiritual disciplines, and they are actually for your good. And I began to read through the spiritual disciplines, and just a couple of them are like worship. Like when we gather and we worship together, when we sing and proclaim and lift high the name of Jesus, it's a spiritual discipline. It actually, it, here's what it does. It, it, it's like a plow that's designed to soften our hearts to know the Lord more intimately. Like when we begin to lift up the name of Jesus and worship and we begin to just dwell on how awesome and how praiseworthy he is, it, it begins to soften our heart. Another one is like prayer and, and journaling. As we begin to just talk and pray and journal and talk to God, it's actually meant to tenderize our heart to the voice of Jesus. Like when we pick up God's word and we just kind of read it, not to get smarter, not to get more knowledge, but to hear God's voice, the spiritual dis- disciplines begin to kind of soften our heart. As we engage in solitude and meditation, another, another couple of spiritual disciplines, we engage in meditation Solitude. We go, we read a couple of verses, and then we go where no one else is at, quiet. And we just let the, all the voices of the world fade away, and we let his voice go stronger. Like in that moment, the spiritual discipline is actually tenderizing our heart to hear the voice of the Lord. The, the, as we confess our sins, we, we acknowledge there's things and there's patterns in this world that are not worthy of the gospel, and I just want to confess them and let them go so that I'm more intimate with Jesus. Fasting, we call our church to fast a couple times a year. You know why? Because a couple times a year, we want to make a declaration that we do not belong to this world. We belong to him. And so spiritual disciplines, although I don't have time to open them all up, spiritual disciplines are designed to help our hearts know the Lord more intimately. As we engage God's word, right, if we hear his voice, when he speaks to us, we know his word. We know the things he's telling us. They line up with what he's already said. So we draw near. We draw near through spiritual disciplines. And here, here's, here's, a, here's a, I love this. The closer we find ourselves to God, the closer we draw in, the closer we abide, the more we are intentional about intimacy, not activity. Not activity. You see, spiritual disciplines are as if, if I took my wife to dinner to the nicest restaurant in town, we're at Three Forks, killing it up, and I'm, and I'm I'm, you know, trying to get someone to pay for it because I'm broke. But I'm at Three Forks, and it's awesome. And I'm at, I'm not trying to get you to pay for it. I just want you to know that I don't go to these Three Forks all the time. That's all I'm saying. So I'm at Three Forks, and I'm going to skip the bill. And then I take her to, like, dancing afterwards. And then, you know, it's like the great, most glorious evening. But I don't spend any time hearing her heart. I've wasted a lot of money and a lot of time. Same thing with spiritual disciplines. If we spend all our time in activity and we do all the things, we worship and read our Bible, and we do everything and we're active, but we don't spend time hearing the heart of Jesus. We've looked good, we've grown religious, but we've missed the purpose. We've missed the purpose. So spiritual disciplines are are meant to tenderize and soften our hearts. And here's what I love. The closer we find ourselves to God, the closer we find ourselves to God, the smaller the steps look that he asks us to take. Why? Because he's big. And when you're holding daddy's hand, jumping over the ditch doesn't seem that big. And when you're walking hand in hand with your father, nothing seems that scary. And so spiritual disciplines are designed and meant to soften our heart 
to become more and more intimate with him. So what do we do? We draw near to him, and then we say yes. And, and really, it comes from the example that Mary gave us. You see, when Mary realizes this, Mary realizes that she's simply responding to the fact that God has already graced her. Like, Mary responds to the fact that God has already favored her. So when Mary says, let it be according to your word, she's not trying to get God's favor. She's actually just living in it. And when God asks us and calls us to do big things, we're not trying to get God's favor. We're actually just existing and living in it. You see, God's favor was declared to the world on the cross. Already declared. God loves us so much. For God so loved the world. So we're not trying to get God's attention. We're trying to live in it and respond to it. And as I've been praying for this week and praying for this sermon and praying for you, I've been praying for two things, that you would draw near to God and you would say yes. That that you would really believe this, that you would believe this, that God can use you. No matter your story, no matter your past, no matter your strengths, no matter your weaknesses, God can use you and God will use you. God can use you and God will use you. Use you. Here's what I know about the, our church. God is calling all of us ordinary people to have extraordinary faith. That God's calling each of us to some things, and, and it's time for us to go, let it be according to your word. And so I, I, my prayer for you is, is, as we kind of wrap up this morning is this, is that you would really wrestle first with the question, do you believe God can use you? And then with the question of, so what's the let it be in my life? What's the let it be in my life? I know God's calling us to do some things. I I think some of us, God may be calling us to share our faith. Like to really share our faith. There's a neighbor, there's a coworker, there's a family member. And if this is you, you know it because their name just came to your heart. Like just like that. And God's calling you to share your faith. And by share your faith, I, I mean share your faith. I mean like tell them about Jesus. Not just an invite. Invites are important and a part of what we do. But not just invite them to church, but use this Christmas season to share your faith. Some of you, I think it's time, God's calling you to share forgiveness. And you just kind of grudgingly made it through Thanksgiving and you thought, oh, if I could just get out of here and get home, I don't have to actually forgive anybody. And God's going, no, 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 no. You're the agent of forgiveness in your family. And the beautiful part about the holidays is this, is you're going to get another chance in about 20, 30 days. And God's calling you now to be the one who shares forgiveness in your family. God's calling some of you to serve. Like you, you've been a part of the church and God's going, hey, you know what I want you to do? I want you to serve. I want you to serve. When we, when we launch the 130 service, you know, we need like 40 or 50 more people in New Gym. We need a whole nother parking team, a whole nother reach team. Like we need you to say, yes, Lord, if you want me to serve, I'll serve. Some of you, it's sign up for that mission trip. Like you've been sitting in here a couple of years and every time we talk about mission trips, God starts stirring in you and you're like, oh, I think I should go. But then you come up with all these excuses about why you shouldn't go, that you can't afford it, that what am I gonna do with the kids? And, and could God even use me in a foreign country? Was well, a kid with a speech impediment that proclaimed the gospel? Yes, God can use you. Some of you, it's time to sign up for a mission trip. Some of you, you've been on a mission trip and you came back and you cannot find rest. You know why? Because God's calling you to go full-time. He's calling you to pack your bags, sell your farm, and go. Some of you, God has really blessed you this year, financially. And God's calling you not to take that money and put it in a storehouse so that you will be happy. But he's calling you to take that money and to sacrificially give. And it's Christmas season. We've got great local partners. And God might be calling you to leverage what he's given you as a blessing to bless others. 
Some of you, some of you, God's telling you to move. Like it's time to move to a new city. And you don't even know why. I asked a bunch of people this week, what's something God's called you or asked you to do? And like over and over again, people like, God called me to move to Jacksonville. And I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a job. I didn't understand why. God just said, move to Jacksonville. And so I came and I met Jesus here. And now I'm a part of this church. And I asked them, so how did you know that was God? And they said, well, it didn't make any sense. It made no sense. And yet there was this weird peace. Logically, it didn't make sense. But somehow there was just this weird peace. And God's calling some of you to pack your bags in 2015 and move to a new city. And you don't even know why, but God's sending you with the gospel to a new city, to a new community to proclaim his name. Some of you, God's calling you to start a ministry, like a Bible study at your work. And you're thinking, but I'm not a preacher. That's fine. If you were a preacher and started a Bible study at your work, they wouldn't come, but they'll come with you. You say, hey, look, Thursdays at 12, I'm going to buy lunch for everybody and we're just going to read through the Bible and answer questions. And God's calling you to be an agent of change at your work. Some of you, God's calling you into full-time ministry. You've you've tried to do everything else and God just keeps bringing you back to the church and it's God's calling you to full-time ministry. God's calling some of you to quit jobs that have no significance in making this world a better place and go take far less money and work at a nonprofit to work at a, at a city function agency. God's calling you to move from what seems like the most logical place in, in the world. He's calling you to quit those jobs and move into places where you can make a change. God's calling some of you this year to have the baby. You and your husband have been talking about it. You and your wife have been talking about it. And you can just keep coming back to the fact of uh, we're scared. Uh, we, don't, we don't have enough money. Uh, we don't, we'll wait for the right time. Let me tell you, there is not a right time for a baby to cry at 3 o'clock in the morning. Ever. Except for the Lord's time. And God's calling you and your family to grow. Some of you, God's calling you your family to grow through adoption. And God's calling some of you to step up this year and adopt some, some child. And some of you, it's out of pain. But you, you haven't been able to conceive your own and God's going, I know you haven't conceived, but your child's actually already been conceived and born and is waiting for you. And some of you, it's just out of blessing. You got more kids than you know what to do with and God's just given you the ability to rescue more. Some of you, it's, it's to be a foster parent. Like this year, you know what? I'm gonna be a foster parent. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna make a place that when kids come out of broken and hurtful homes, I'm gonna give them a place to land softly and a place not just to land softly, but to hear the gospel. Some of you guys telling you to quit. Just quit your job, go home, and raise your babies. We live in a culture that says you gotta, you gotta chase after money, chase after money, and God's going quit and go home. Some of you, God's calling you to retire from your job and take your 60 hours a week and invest it in the church. You've done everything you need to do in the corporate world. You've made all the money you need to do. And God's gonna, there's plenty of money to provide for you. And it's time for you to quit and spend all your time serving the church or serving a local ministry. I I don't know specifically for you what God's calling you to do, but I do know this. God's calling you to do something. You're an ordinary person and all it takes is extraordinary obedience. And then you get to join in and watch God do the miraculous. How do we do that? How do we run? How do we, how do we believe God? He'll do the miraculous. What do we do? Simply this. We draw near. And then when God calls us, 
We don't, we, we count the cost and go, they're not, it doesn't matter. We realize our insecurities and weaknesses and go, he's strong enough. He's great enough. And in fact, in our weakness, he is strong. And in those moments, we draw near to him and we go, whatever you ask of me, let it be according to your word. And so what we're going to do to end this morning is give us some space to draw near. We're going to do a few things. We're going to take the Lord, we're going to take communion, which is this. It's a reminder that Christ came in flesh and in blood and lived a perfect life. And he died on the cross and was resurrected that you and I might have life. And we're going to take communion at your own pace and stations around the room. We're also going to have the altars open for prayer. We're going to have deacons and pastors and staff down here to pray for you. We're going to sing, oh, how he loves us. We're going to declare, we're going to draw near through worship. And here's, here's what we need to do. Here's what would be wise of us to do. To draw near in this moment. To go, God, I believe that you can do mighty things through me. I believe that you would use me for your glory and use me for your purpose. So I draw near to you. And if God's telling you, if God's clearly calling you to do something, then don't wait to do it. Declare it now. Come down front and pray and declare, God, you've called me to do this. And Lord, let it be according to your word. That my prayer for us that during this Advent Christmas season as we would do this we would draw near we would draw near to the presence of God and whatever he asked of us we would say let it be according to your word will you stand and pray with me Jesus we love you and we just declare that and we declare that uh, whatever you would ask us to do that we would say let it be according to your word That, God, you would take our insecurities, our weaknesses, and, in fact, in them, you would, you would be strong. And, God, there's some things you're calling us to do that we are just afraid to do because we know we can't. And, God, in those moments that we're staring at our own abilities and we're not staring at the sovereignty and majestic power of you. So, God, as we declare your love for us, as we take communion and remind ourselves of your sacrifice, as we pray at the altars, as we confess to you, and, to, and God, just in those moments, would, as we draw near to you, would you draw near to us? And God, declare for us the things you'd have us to do. And then give us your strength.